0: If you have an electronic device with you this morning, please turn it on to the book of Luke. (laughs) We're getting to that place, aren't we? If you have the archaic version, open it to the book of Luke, chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning and would like to borrow one, just slip your hand up. One of our ushers will bring one to you, and if you don't have one at home, you're welcome to take it home with you. I'm preaching through... The book of Luke. We are now in Luke chapter 20. We'll be reading verses 27 through 40. Luke chapter 20 verses 27 to 40. Let's pray. Father, we know that Jesus said in the gospel of John, I am the light of the world. And we believe that. We believe, Lord Jesus Christ, that You are the light of the world. That apart from You, we are dwelling in darkness, spiritual darkness, bound in that darkness, unable to see. And we ask, Father, now, we ask You, Jesus, we ask You, Holy Spirit, that You would be light in our hearts now. You would enlighten our hearts. Father, you would help us to see Jesus, to be the supreme treasure he is. Father, I pray our hearts would be gripped by the beauties of Christ and the glories of Christ. And Father, our hearts would would desire to run after Christ all of our days. We need you. We thank you, Jesus, the light of the world. We trust you will do this today, for it's in your name that we now pray. Amen. There came to Jesus some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, and they asked Jesus a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died Without children, and the second and third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. Amen. In 1952, a young woman named Florence Chadwick stepped into the Pacific Ocean just off of Catalina Island. She was already the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. She was now determined to swim the 20-some miles from Catalina Island to the California coast. The weather was cold and very foggy that day. She could hardly see the boats that were escorting her, and yet she still swam for 15 hours straight. When she begged to be taken out of the water, her mother in one of the boats told her she was close and could make it. But exhausted, Chadwick finally gave up. She was pulled onto a boat and then learned that the shore was less than half a mile away. And at a news conference the next day, she said, All I could see was the fog. If I could have seen the shore, I think I would have made it. When you're on a journey in this life, any, any sort of journey in this life, that there, there's something about seeing the shore there's there's something about seeing the finish line the end of the journey that empowers you to finish the journey and and that's the way it is with the christian journey if you are a Christian, a believer who trusts in Christ as Savior and Master, then your ultimate shore is heaven. That is where you are now heading. And in order to journey, to journey well in this life toward heaven, you have to see the shore. You, you, you have to focus regularly on Heaven. You have to fix your eyes, fix your heart and mind daily on heaven and and all that's associated with heaven. And and if you don't see that shore regularly in your Christian life, if you don't focus on heaven and, and all that's associated with heaven, or maybe you don't understand heaven very well, if heaven is foggy to you, you will tend to struggle in your Christian life and be tempted at times to give up. There's something about seeing the shore that empowers you to finish the journey. And in this passage here, Jesus, He lets us see a bit of that shore. Jesus talks here in this passage about one thing that is associated with heaven, and that is the resurrection. There are two main parts to this passage here. I believe both of them have to do with the resurrection, and the first thing Jesus gives us here are some characteristics of the resurrection, some characteristics or features of the resurrection. Luke says in verse 27 that some Sadducees came up to Jesus here. Jesus is just a couple days from death here in Luke chapter 20. He's he's in Jerusalem now teaching daily in the temple in Jerusalem. And the religious leaders in Luke 20 try repeatedly to trap Jesus. All all of these verbal traps here in Luke 20 that they throw at Jesus in an effort to trip him up and cause him to say something that would give them a reason to kill him. The leaders have already tried now here in this chapter to trap Jesus two times. And now they try one final time. The first two traps in this chapter came from members of the Pharisee party, but this trap comes from the Sadducees the Sadducees were were bitter rivals of the Pharisees. Both of those two groups in first century Israel just just battling it out for for control of the Jewish religion. And, And the Sadducees, they differed from the Pharisees in a couple of key ways. One of the major ways that they differed was in their view of the resurrection. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees believed that at some point in the future the dead would be raised again. But the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. They also didn't believe in any type of penalties or rewards after death. The Sadducees believed that at at death The soul just died right along with the body. Good night, lights out, that's it. I taught my kids to remember the Sadducees and to remember what the Sadducees were about like this. They were sad, you see, because they did not believe in a resurrection. And and one of the reasons that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection was because they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament, and they rejected the rest. The Pharisees on the other hand, they they accepted all 66 books of the Old Testament, but the Sadducees only accepted the first 5 books of the Old Testament to be holy scripture from God. Those first 5 books of the Old Testament which they accepted are called the Torah or the Pentateuch, the 5 books. My My children were learning about the Pentateuch a while back, and one of my kids thought it was the Pentateuch. The five toots. It's not the five toots. It's the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Those were the only books that the Sadducees accepted as true Scripture from God. And the Sadducees thought... That those first five books didn't teach anything about a resurrection. So the resurrection must be false. So there were differences between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But listen, they both wanted to trap Jesus here in Luke chapter 20. The Pharisees have already taken their shots and failed. And it's almost as if the Sadducees were kind of sitting back watching the Pharisees fail. And they step up now to show the Pharisees how it's done. And the Sadducees tried to trap Jesus here with a question about the resurrection. These Sadducees here, they know that Jesus believes in a resurrection from the dead. Jesus has already talked about it several times here in the book of Luke. They know that Jesus believes in a resurrection, and they now try to trap Jesus with a question about the resurrection. If you look at verse 28 again, they say, "'Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies having a wife but no children,' The man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. And the Sadducees were talking there about a passage from the Pentateuch. Those first five books that, that Moses had written. Moses wrote the Pentateuch. They refer to it. Moses wrote to us there in the Pentateuch. And they're talking about a passage from Deuteronomy 25. Where, where God, speaking through Moses, had given the Jews a command. God had said there back in Deuteronomy 25 that if a man died without having a son, the dead man's brother or closest living male relative should then take the dead man's widow as his own wife. And if they then had a son together, the son would take the dead man's name. And that was God's way of preserving family lines in Israel so those family names didn't die out. And that law from Deuteronomy 25, it eventually became known as the leverate marriage law. It comes from the Latin word lever, which means husband's Brother. And you, you can see that leverate law in action in the book of Ruth with Ruth and Boaz. And these Sadducees here, they, they believe that this leverate law from the Pentateuch, they believe that this law creates some problems for the doctrine of the resurrection. So they now ask Jesus a question here based on that Leverate Law. If you look at verse 20 again, the Sadducees now say, Now, Jesus, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore... Whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as a wife. (laughs) So, the Sadducees had concocted this nice little scenario for Jesus. He probably didn't just use it for Jesus. I imagine these Sadducees also probably used this riddle with the Pharisees who believed in the resurrection. But here they have this riddle of sorts, this, this scenario for Jesus. Seven brothers, Jesus, one of them after marrying a wife, dies. The other brothers then marry her one after the other, fulfilling their leverate duties, but they also die. And, and man, don't you know that that last brother (laughs) fought long and hard before marrying the woman? (laughs) He looks at this woman and thinks she's not safe for some reason. I don't know what the deal is. You marry this woman and you die. But he marries her and he dies. They all die. And none of the brothers, none of the brothers had any children with this woman, which is key, because now they are all equal in status. And the Sadducees then say, so Jesus... In this resurrection that you speak of, which of the seven will have her as a wife? You know, it, it's a ridiculous question. <laughs> this it's hypothetical scenario that would never likely occur on this planet. Uh, the, the, the type of question that some theologians are prone to ask uh, Thomas Aquinas once asked, How many angels can dance on the head of a pen? <laughs> And you know the answer is, who cares? Because no angel in the universe ever would dance on the head of a pin. It's ridiculous. And this question here is also pretty ridiculous. Would never likely happen. But these Sadducees here think that they have now trapped Jesus. They believe that this marriage dilemma here proves that a resurrection of the dead is ludicrous... But most importantly, these Sadducees believe that a resurrection is unscriptural. A resurrection cannot possibly line up with the leverate marriage law in the book of Deuteronomy. So, Jesus, this woman's going to have seven husbands in heaven? The, the, this, a, a monogamous woman here on this earth is, is now a polygamist in heaven? It makes no sense, Jesus. But, you know, the, the, problem, the problem with their question here is this. The, these guys just assume here, they, they just assume that marriage in the resurrection is the same as marriage now. now the, these guys just assume here that life in the resurrection, life in heaven is essentially the same as life in this present age as life now. But their assumptions were wrong. Life in heaven, in in many ways, will not be the same as life now. It will be similar in some ways. 1 Corinthians 15 indicates that there will be some continuity between this life and the next, but there will also be significant changes between this life and the resurrection life. In many ways, life in heaven will be a very different type of existence, and that will be the case when it comes to marriage. Look at verse 4 again. Jesus answers their ridiculous question with this. He says, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. <laughs> so, you Sadducees, your question is completely irrelevant. A moot question. It's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous question. Why? Because in the resurrection age, no more marriage between men and women. So which of the brothers will have her as a wife? None of them. No marriage in the resurrection. The people in this age, Jesus said, are married, but the people in the resurrection age are not. And man, I think that right there would, would, would probably, probably come as a shock to a lot of people on this planet. I think it would come as a shock to a lot of people on this planet. I, I think a lot of people just assume that, that if there is some type of eternity, well, their marriage will just extend somehow into that eternity. I read that type of stuff all the time on Facebook. My, my, my mom, my pa, they're just enjoying marriage now in heaven with the big man upstairs. It's always called The Big Man Upstairs. I don't know where he got that title, uh, but that's what what he's called. You know, I think a lot of Christians probably think like that. I think a lot of Christians think that that if you're married now, well, you'll be married in heaven. But but Jesus just said right there that, that marriage between a man and a woman is a temporary institution for this life only. John Piper wrote a great book on marriage called "This Momentary Marriage," and that 's what marriage is say it 's a momentary temporary institution for this life only and, and you know for people who find themselves right now in a, a difficult marriage, that might sound like good news. <laughs> Thank God, I just have to hang on a little bit longer, and it's, it's done. But listen, man, for people who find themselves right now in a happy marriage, that might sound like bad news. It might sound like sad news. And I'll be honest with you, that's how it feels to me at times, when I think about it. You know, it's very providential. That I would be preaching on this text today, October 11th, because on this date, 12 years ago, my wife Molly and I were married in a little, thank you, (laughs) chased her for five years. She rejected me all along the way until she had mercy on me. Uh, married, married there 12 years ago today in a little outdoor wedding chapel in Texas. This is our anniversary, and I truly do love my wife, Molly. So grateful for her. I tell her all the time that she is my best friend, and she truly is. This woman knows everything about me. I know everything about her. She still loves me, which is a miracle. I love her. I love being with her, love to love to spend time with her, love to talk with her, love to laugh with her, love to laugh at her sometimes. <laughs> she laughs at herself better than anybody I know. I love it. I love Molly. I, I love being married to Molly. And when I think that in heaven we will no longer be married, I do seriously get a bit of a pit in my stomach, and I have to remind myself that that whatever joy there is in this life, the joy of this life, it pales in comparison to the joys of the next life. And and whatever there is in this life, in anything good in this life that is not carried over to the next life, well, it will simply be replaced with something far better. And that is the case with marriage, I believe. Jesus says here that I will not be married to Molly in heaven. But he doesn't say here that I won't know Molly. Now, the Bible indicates that we will still know our loved ones in heaven, and we will probably love them in in a much deeper and, and, and a much better way. You think about it, in heaven, there will be no more sin in our relationships with other people. I won't sin against Molly anymore, and she won't sin against me anymore, thank God. <laughs> we, will see, we, will see, we will see one another through sinless eyes. We will love one another from sinless hearts. Our love for one another, our, our friendship, our companionship will probably be much deeper, much better, than it is now. And we probably won't just have that type of relationship with one another in heaven, but also with other people in heaven. R.C. Sproul says, quote, part of the reason why marriage means so much to us is the companionship it brings. We have one person on whom we can depend for their loyalty, their love, and affection. But in heaven, Sproul says, I think we're going to have that kind of close relationship with everybody. Because once sin is removed from human relationships, we will be able to enjoy a closeness with others that would transcend what we enjoy. With our own marriage partners now. End quote. Man, a much better relationship with my spouse in heaven, but also with others in heaven. But marriage between men and women, it will be no more. And, and why? why? why won't people be married in heaven? Lots of reasons. Let me name just two. One reason why people will no longer be married in heaven is because the primary purpose for marriage will then be fulfilled. Do you know why God originally created marriage back in the book of Genesis? Do you, do you know what the primary purpose for marriage is? And, and contrary to popular belief, God did not ultimately create marriage for your happiness. Okay, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. What's marriage for? It's for my happiness. No, it's not ultimately for your happiness. God didn't ultimately create marriage for your happiness. God didn't ultimately create marriage so you wouldn't be lonely. God ultimately created marriage between a man and a woman Because God wanted to give us a tiny picture of the relationship that exists between Jesus and his people. God wanted us to be able to understand to some degree the relationship that exists between Jesus and his people. So God created marriage. A marriage between a human groom and a human bride is is a tiny, very imperfect picture of the intimate union of love that exists between Jesus, the supreme groom, and his bride, the church. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 5. Paul Paul talks there in Ephesians 5 about a marriage between a man and a woman. And in, in Ephesians 5.32, Paul says, This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Man, that is a huge statement from the Apostle Paul. Paul says there in Ephesians 5.32 that a marriage between a man and a woman is a profound mystery. <laughs> and listen, Paul doesn't say that your marriage is a profound mystery because the man is from Mars and the woman from Venus. Okay, he, that's not what he's saying. Paul says there in Ephesians 5 that, that marriage between a man and a woman is a profound mystery because that marriage ultimately refers to Christ and the church. That marriage ultimately points to Christ and the church. The husband is a tiny picture of Christ. The wife is a tiny picture of the bride of Christ, the church. God created marriage to give us a tiny picture of the relationship that exists between Jesus and his people. And, and, And please, please listen. After the resurrection, when when all of Christ's people finally join Him in in heaven, when when Christ's bride joins Him in heaven at at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when when the marriage between Christ and His bride is, is finally and fully accomplished, when that ultimate wedding day arrives, The tiny, imperfect marriages of this life will then have served their purpose. And they will then give way to the one, true, perfect marriage. The little foreshadowings of this life in our marriages, the foreshadowings that are pointing to something coming in the future, those little foreshadowings of this life will then give way to the reality in the next life. The shadows will no longer be necessary. Men and women in heaven won't be married to one another anymore because they will all then be finally and fully married to Christ. The marriage of marriages. The joy of all joys. Every bit of love and romance you've ever experienced in your marriage is simply a little tiny foreshadowing of the love and intimacy that will exist between Christ and His church forever. Your marriage is just designed to point to Jesus and His bride. All of your candlelit nights, as John Piper says, will one day be swallowed up in the romance that is Jesus and his bride. John Piper says from that book, Momentary Marriage, he says, quote, very soon the shadow will give way to the reality. The partial will pass into the perfect. The foretaste will lead to the banquet. And this momentary marriage will then be swallowed up by life. Christ will be all and in all. And the purpose of marriage, Piper says, will then be complete. Complete. Huh. Man, that, that's one reason why, why people will no longer be married in heaven. That the, the primary purpose for marriage will then be fulfilled. And and a second reason why why people will no longer be married in heaven, we will no longer need to procreate because we will no longer die. And that's what Jesus says right there. If you look at verse 36 again, Jesus just said that people in heaven will no longer marry. And then Jesus gives a reason. Why will people no longer marry? Verse 36, for or because. They cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. You know, one of the the main reasons for for marriage in this life is is procreation, (laughs) population of the earth. After God created Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden and then united them in the very first marriage, Genesis 1.28 says that God then blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Translation? Translation? Make babies. (laughs) Make lots of babies. Fill the earth with babies. That's a mandate we take very seriously here in this church family. We make babies like bunnies here in this church family. (laughs) But listen, listen. Once the resurrection comes, once the resurrection comes, there will be no more need for procreation. Because all of the people who will ever live in heaven, well, they're already living in heaven. And Jesus says here that now they cannot die. He says here that they are equal to angels. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus is not saying there that the people in heaven will be exactly like angels. Angels are spiritual beings and people in heaven will have real flesh and blood bodies. I think Jesus is simply saying there that people in heaven, like the angels, will be immortal. Unable to die. Sons of God, Jesus says, who are now being... Sons of God who are now being sons of the resurrection. The people of God in in heaven now having uh, an eternal resurrection life coursing through their glorified bodies. Revelation 22, they will be eating once again from the eternal tree of life. We lost it in the Garden of Eden. Jesus got it back for us. We will be eating from it in the book of Revelation, in heaven. Revelation 21.4, death will be no more. 1 Corinthians 15.54, death will then be swallowed up in victory. No more death. There will be no funeral directors in heaven. Praise God for that. And I'm sorry if you're a funeral director, you'll need to find a new job. <laughs> when you get no funeral directors, no no death. And, and because all of the procreation that needed to be done will then be done, marriage will no longer be necessary for procreation. So man, lots, for lots of reasons, marriage is momentary a temporary institution for this life only and let me encourage you if you're in a marriage right now struggling hardship difficulties god has given that to you for a season god has given you marriage for a season for his purposes to glorify him to reflect jesus in the bride for procreation god has given you marriage to sanctify conform you to the image of Christ. Again, the ultimate goal of marriage is not your happiness on this earth. The goal is that we would glorify God, reflect Jesus and His bride. The goal is that you'd be sanctified. And man, your marriage will be sanctifying. When I got married, uh, my best friend at the time did our wedding ceremony. I remember at one point he stopped and he looked out at Molly and me and he said, you two are God's perfect... And perfecting gifts in one another's lives. Your spouse is God's perfecting gift for you to conform you to the image of Jesus and get you ready to meet Him. It's a temporary institution. And man, you look at the verses we just covered there, those verses right there, man, Jesus just laid out for us some characteristics of. The resurrection, some characteristics of heaven. Jesus just let us see a little bit of that eternal shore. Men and women will no longer be married because they'll all be married to Jesus and infinitely happy in Jesus. Men and women will, will no longer uh, need to procreate because they will no longer die. Immortal, like the angels, sons of the resurrection, eternal life, coursing through their glorified bodies. Jesus just gave us right there in those verses a tiny glimpse of heaven, the eternal sure. So that's one thing Jesus gives us here in this passage, some characteristics of the resurrection. And the second thing Jesus gives us here is some Old Testament evidence for the resurrection. Old Testament evidence for the resurrection. If you look at verse 37 again, Jesus just said to these Sadducees that there will be no marriage in the resurrection. And then Jesus adds this, but Sadducees, that the dead are raised, even Moses showed it. In the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living for all live to him. Man, I love what Jesus does in these interactions with people. (laughs) love what Jesus just did right there. These Sadducees in front of him, they do not believe in a resurrection from the dead. So Jesus just gave them some Old Testament evidence for the resurrection. He just showed them an Old Testament passage that indicated that there would be a resurrection. But here's the cool thing about what Jesus just did right there. Jesus, he man, he could have drawn from just about any of the 66 Old Testament books in order to give them evidence for the resurrection. If, for example, Jesus could have drawn from Job nineteen twenty six, where Job says this: "After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God." Or Jesus could have drawn from Isaiah twenty six nineteen, where Isaiah says, "Your dead shall live; their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. The earth will give birth." to the dead. Or Jesus could have drawn from Daniel 12:2 says this, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Jesus he could have pulled from just about any Old Testament book to give the Sadducees evidence for the resurrection. But here's the thing, Jesus knows that these Sadducees here don't accept the majority of the Old Testament books. They only accept the first five. The Pentateuch. So so what does Jesus do right here? He goes right back to one of the first five books. Jesus just referred right there to a passage from the book of Exodus. The second book. Of the Bible. You don't believe in a resurrection. Sadducees. And did you catch what he said? Even Moses. See they had said to him before. Moses says this. Back in the Pentateuch. Because Moses wrote the Pentateuch. And now Jesus says. Sadducees. Even Moses. Even the one who wrote the Pentateuch. That you receive. Even Moses showed in the passage about the bush that the dead are raised. (laughs) And here's the Old Testament verse up there that Jesus was referring to there. This is Exodus Jesus was drawing from this verse. Most of you probably remember the story. God was speaking to Moses out of the burning bush, and God said this to Moses. God said, I am the God of your father, Moses, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Leave that up there for a second. Because here's the thing I want you to note in this verse right here that Jesus just referred to. I want you to note this very carefully. When God said right there, There, when God said those words to Moses out of the burning bush, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all dead. Long gone. But God still says there, I am, present tense, present tense, I am their God. He doesn't say there, I was their God before they died. No, I am their God still, right now. (laughs) And man, if God was still their God here long after their physical deaths, then they must still be alive. Somehow, their spirits already raised from the dead and now Just waiting for the future resurrection of their bodies. So Jesus refers to that Exodus verse there. And then he says to the Sadducees, God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. (laughs) And through that, through all of that, through all of that. Jesus is saying, those men are still alive. God said so. Moses said so. They've been raised. There is a resurrection. Thank you. Evidence. Evidence there for the resurrection in the first five books of the Old Testament. (laughs) And I love that. And I think these Sadducees here were just a little bit um, dumbfounded, uh, shocked. If you look at what Luke says next in verse 39, he says that one of the scribes then answered... Teacher, you have spoken well. And Luke goes on to say that they no longer dared to ask Jesus any questions. Man, I love it. And Jesus now, now, for the time being, he has silenced his critics. Both Pharisees and Sadducees. The wisdom of God has silenced these men. So Jesus has just shown us there in that passage a bit of the eternal shore. Je- Jesus just has given us a little glimpse of the resurrection age. He's given us a little glimpse of of heaven there. He's given us some of the characteristics of the resurrection. He- he's given us some Old Testament evidence for the resurrection. Listen, according to Jesus Christ, the Son of God the resurrection of the dead to eternal life is a real thing. It is not a fabricated thing that came through the minds of men later on. It's not an imaginary dream. The Son of God says, the resurrection is real. And he's indicating to us here in this passage that it is gloriously and infinitely amazing, better than anything we could ever imagine. But, but please listen to me. Jesus is very clear about something here in this passage. And, and here it is. The people who will ultimately reach that heavenly shore, the people who will one day be resurrected to eternal life, and and enjoy those things that Jesus has talked about here, that won't be every person on the planet. Look at verse 35 again. Who will end up in heaven? Jesus tells us here, he says, that it will be those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead. And you know what that means? One thing that means? Jesus Christ does not believe in universalism. Where every person on the planet goes to heaven. Jesus doesn't agree with it. No, Jesus makes it crystal clear there. The only people who end up in heaven are those considered worthy to attain. Those who are considered worthy by God to attain Unto heaven. And, and who on this planet will be considered worthy by God to attain unto heaven? Well, Jesus has been telling us all the way through the book of Luke. Who, who will it be? Those who repent, trust, and bear fruit that indicates that their heart has been changed. Those, those, who, those who, who repent or turn away from their sin who trust in Christ as both Savior and Master, and bear fruit, they, they produce good works in their lives that indicates that their heart has truly been changed, they will be considered worthy to attain unto heaven. Those who do not truly repent, trust, and bear fruit, they will not be considered by God worthy to attain unto heaven. They will not be resurrected to eternal life as we just saw in Daniel 12. They will be resurrected to shame and everlasting contempt in hell. Only those who repent Trust in Christ and bear fruit will ultimately be considered worthy to attain unto heaven. And listen, those people who do repent, trust, and bear fruit, they will, without a doubt, attain unto heaven. Do you know why? Because Jesus made sure of it. Jesus Christ came to this earth and he lived and died to pay the penalty for our sins. But then Jesus rose again. A bodily resurrection from the grave, rising again, a flesh and blood body. And Jesus entered heaven in a glorified body. Jesus was considered worthy by God his Father to attain unto heaven where he originally started. And the Bible says that, that now everyone who is genuinely united to Christ by a living faith will also rise again someday just like Jesus. And be considered worthy by God to attain unto heaven like Jesus. A bodily resurrection from the grave like Jesus. Rising again in a glorified flesh and blood body like Jesus. And entering heaven like Jesus where we will then live with Jesus. Married to Jesus. Enjoying Jesus. And also living in deep and joyful relationships with other believers forever and the resurrected people of God enjoying that infinitely amazing eternal shore called heaven so if you're here today man and, and you're not on that journey yet start today repent of your sins trust in Christ and second you do that you will start bearing fruit that indicates that you have received Christ but listen if you are already on that journey toward heaven right now, let me encourage you to do something. Focus on that shore. Fix your eyes daily. Fix your hearts and your minds daily on heaven and all that is associated with heaven. There is something about seeing the shore that empowers and enables you to finish your journey. May God help us to see the shore and give us faith and strength to run for it with all of our strength. Father, we thank you for your word. It cuts through uh, soul and spirits, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We thank you, Father, for your word. We bless you for it. And uh, Father, we pray, again, you give our hearts light to see and lights to receive what you have done for us through Christ. May our hearts be gripped by him. May we have faith, Lord, to really believe that heaven is better than what we have now. Lord, I thank you that this life is not our best life, that our best life in Christ is still waiting to come. Give us faith to believe it. Give us us faith. Give us strength, Lord God, to run for it in jesus name amen amen well praise god we're um uh, up against our time here this morning so i'm going to call an audible and we won't have a final song but um man praise god for what he has done for us through christ and um uh, given us an eternal hope in christ and uh man may god help us to believe it and to, to run after that eternal shore. Amen? Amen. Please stand. And I, I, I want to remind you um, uh, one announcement. Youth and young adults, you heard about the Youth and Young Adult Life Group. And uh, there's a meeting this Tuesday night at the home of Dana and Rosa Mandel. And I've just encouraged uh, all you youth and young adults between in 7th up through 12th grade, to consider going there. And again, be praying for that, um, uh, that uh, youth and young adult life group. Uh, please be in prayer for them and for all of our life groups that we could truly go and make disciples for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Please receive the benediction. May God bless you in Christ Jesus and may God help you to fix your eyes on heaven and empower you to finish your journey for His glory and your eternal joy. Amen? Amen.